ready? And open up to Galatians chapter 6. We will speak on Galatians chapter 6. We will be commenting on the first 10 verses this week and the next 8 verses next week, and we'll be finished with this book. Okay. Galatians chapter 6, take a moment. Today's message is inner attitudes, so as we're reading these 10 verses, look for inner attitudes. Uh oh, is good. That's a good response. We all have them. Let's pray they're lining up with the Word of God, and uh, we'll find out soon. Starting in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then he, his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, whoever, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing well. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, like always, we come before you. We thank you for this living word, Father God. Truly is the bread of life, Father God. It is seed for the sower. It is bread for those who are hungry, Father God. And we bless you for it, God. Let our souls always be hungry for your word, Father God. Let us never despise the word of God. Let us never get so familiar with the word, Father God, that it loses its reality. It loses its life, Father God. Let us always hunger and thirst for righteousness, Father God. Open up our minds this afternoon to understand the scriptures, Father God. Teach us that which Paul is teaching us here about sowing and reaping, Father God, or thinking too highly of ourselves, Father God. Let us not be ensnared by our own thoughts concerning ourselves, Father God. Free us from these selfish thoughts, Father God, these high and mighty thoughts that we might get trapped in, especially against our brothers and sisters in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we've been going through the book, Paul has made it a firm assurance that a man is saved purely by grace of God. That's found in Christ Jesus. There were people, as we know, as we're going through the book, what is a, a group of people supposed to do if there's no laws, there's no rules, there's no regulations to guide a bunch of different people from a, a, a great diversity of backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, 
educational backgrounds and so on and so forth. They're all coming in, Jew and Gentile, coming to this new corporate entity called the body of Christ. They're all bringing their old habits in. They're, they're bringing their carnal thinking in. They're bringing their pagan thoughts in. They're bringing their legalistic tendencies in. And they're all coming and converging on one place now. And they're supposed to live in harmony. There's not a law that threatens them. There's not a rule that regulates them. There is nothing there except this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so fulfill the law of Christ. That is it. How are we to get along? We spoke about that the last couple of weeks out of uh, Galatians chapter 5. And Paul's going to put it to, into action now. There's a responsibility. Because we don't have any rules and regulations guiding us, we do have the law of Christ to carry each other's burdens. But there is a responsibility. Because there's no laws and rules and regulations, that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility towards each other. And this whole section really deals with the inner attitudes of what's taking place in any one of us at any one time towards another human being. That's what Paul is talking about here. The, for sure, that's what the first five verses are talking about. The second uh, five verses are talking about uh, inner attitudes towards money and the kingdom of God. We'll explore that as we get there. But being led by the Spirit of God... Uh, is the only antidote for being led by the destructive nature and tendencies of the flesh. The only hope we have is to be led by the Holy Spirit into a spirit-filled, fruitful life of self-control, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and so on and so forth. That's, that's what Paul has taught us. But we find out here in verse 1 that, but there are casualties in the Christian life. As verse 1 clearly teaches us, people fall into sin. Paul shows us some helpful insight, and I want you to listen to this, into dealing with them along with some self-governing attitudes that will keep us, as a people, at a safe distance from the high elevation of ourself. We have, as human beings, a tendency of evaluating ourselves uh, very highly. And this is what we've got to be very careful of, not to think more highly of ourself, as Paul says, when you're nothing. As Jesus teaches us, we're just unworthy servants. One man's sin, verse 1 teaches us, can reveal another man's pride. And that's the issue behind the first five verses. One man's sin can reveal another man's pride. How we deal with another person's weakness, how we deal with another person's failures in life, reveal very much if we're spiritual or not. It reveals, what do I think of somebody? What do I think of myself? We're going to get into that as we go, verse by verse, I will go through these ten verses today. And we'll really, I want you to see the picture. What's going on behind the scenes of our heart? Because God deals with the root. He's not concerned with the fruit of sin. I hope everybody understands that. This is not about stop this, stop that, stop this. Fall in love with God, and you won't be doing these things. You'll be led by the Spirit. Fall in love with the Lord. We're so symptomatic in our thinking. It's a therapeutic approach. And we try to manage, in a, in a managerial sense, our lives. And fall in love with God. And you watch your life change. That is Christianity. So much of the Christian's life is fought on the battleground of the inner life. 
The Christian that wins this battle is a maturing Christian. And listen to this. He is usable for God's purpose. Because it takes those who are mature to restore. Do you not know that the kingdom of God is all about restoration? Don't we understand that? It is about restoring. When you witness the gospel, you are attempting to restore a sinner to God. And then when we live our Christian life, it is about restoration. Our fellowship upstairs, our saying hello over here, and our preaching, our singing, it's all about restoration. It's It's about God using us to bring us closer to one another. It's truly about Christian friendship. The last five verses speak about, Paul speaks on the Christian attitude towards money and the kingdom of God. And we'll get into that as we go. But let's go to verse 1. Let's look at verse 1. And we're going to take it a verse at a time today. I actually enjoyed studying this section very much. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Listen to how he says, lest you too be tempted. Like the brother who was tempted and fell into a transgression, like the brother who was tempted and was caught in a transgression, you be careful of yourself, lest you too fall into it. The brother that fell here in verse 1 was tempted. He fell into a temptation. He fell into a transgression. And it doesn't mean when it says caught, it means to be overtaken. It doesn't mean God caught him or the elders went out on a Friday night march around Bay Ridge to catch sinners and people who confess Christ in their sins. It's, it's, not, it's not like the Pharisees did in John chapter 8 when they caught the woman in adultery and they threw her before the crowd and they threw her before Jesus naked and in all her shame. That's not what's talking about here. This is talking about a faster runner overtaken and a slower runner. This is someone who was caught up in a heavy burden, an excessive burden. He was tempted. She was tempted beyond compare. And she didn't have no one to lean on. And before you know it, you're caught in sin. You're like, you look to yourself. And every Christian knows it to some degree. How did I get here? How did the sin overtake me? I wasn't planning on this. This is not a sin. This is a transgression. A transgression is more of an isolated act as opposed to a premeditated sin. It's different. That's what we got to have going on here. And the text doesn't give us the particular sin the person fell into or how it all took a place. It's just a fact. If anyone is caught in a sin, and I like that. Paul knows that we can fall into sin. This is the way Paul writes it, but 1 John says it this way, and I think it's 1 John chapter 2, I write to you little children that you may not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, the righteous one, Jesus Christ. That's how John deals with the same, it's the same thing. The way John says it, and the way Paul says it, they're saying the same thing in two different ways. I want you to follow this is not a habitual sin. It's an isolated act. Probably some of some duration. The restoration here means it's, it's use of mending nets or mending broken bones. It means a, a putting something back together so it's usable again. And, and that is very important. So when we're to restore, those who are mature, to restore someone back to being usable again. Restore them back to God. Mend them again. Again, the whole kingdom of God is about restoration. And restored, sin destroys fellowship with God, and sin destroys fellowship with one another. Slowly but surely, it hurts. 
I want you to listen to what 1 John 1, 7 says. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus covers us from all our sins. As a believer, I need a fellowship to have sweet fellowship and meaningful fellowship and, and friendship with people that can build me up and I can build them up. But if there's an ongoing known sin, it's not being confessed, it's not being repented for, it's not being uh, taken care of, then there's a breach in my fellowship. There's a breach in my friendship. Husbands and wives can experience that. Friends can experience that. Sin separates this brother has been, he can be in the midst of the congregation and still be separated. Restore such a person. It's about restoration. Restore the Christian that fell, not destroy. And if we're not careful of our inner attitudes, we can destroy someone. So we've got to be extremely careful about that. So the sin here is to, it's the transgression is someone has got caught up. It's not so much a deliberate act as all of a sudden they're overwhelmed. And I think of uh, James chapter 1 where it says, Don't blame God when you're tempted. But each one is tempted when his own desires have conceived and give birth to sin. And when sin is full blown, it brings forth death. There's a, a process of sin starting and conceiving and growing and getting worse. Do you not know that sin, Satan's not happy with just a little sin? He enjoys ruining lives. It's what he likes. He, 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 he's criminally patient and slowly beguiling until he ruins people. So to be caught doesn't necessarily mean at all that you know, we go on a witch hunt. Someone is turning around and say, how did I get here? My life is a mess. I'm in sin. Mature is important. Paul says, he doesn't just say anybody. And this is really important. Let me just take a moment here. When it talks about any of us conform to sin. It is important not just to confess sin to anybody. Well, they're Christians. No, 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 no. When you're caught and you've struggled or something, you, you need to speak to somebody that is mature, that's someone who can speak life to the broken bone, spiritually. No, someone who knows how to mend a net to make it proper and whole again. It is important to receive counsel. There needs to be a restoration process. So when two young Christians who are just struggling in the flesh themselves are confessing to one another, there is a sense of, that's okay, but that's not what God wants. God wants you to go to a mature believer and be whole again. So it's important to understand that. And not just to be mature, that's somebody who's walking in the Spirit. That's someone who's being led by the Holy Spirit. That's someone who's filled with self-control. Someone's filled with love and joy and a peace and has a gentle, kind spirit. And his patience has long-suffering. That's what uh, Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 2 when he says, Do you not know that it's the forbearance and patience and loving kindness of God that leads you to the repentance. So it is important that someone have this very uh, sensitive, circumstantial sensitivity to the person and have a genuine concern and love for the person. Because it is easy for an immature person to say, how did you do that? 
I held you in such high esteem. I can't, well, and they can't get over the fact that someone fell into sin. Because an immature person only sees the sin. They don't see the soul that needs to be restored. Very important. And to, to do this and, and, and to correct them and admonish them in a loving, almost like a surgeon's way of putting something back together. I think of like uh, a, a young chick that broke its wing. You know, you got you to take it, you got to be sensitive. But isn't that what Christ did for us? Isn't it a smoldering wick he will not extinguish? Isn't it a broken reed he will not break and destroy? Doesn't he come along us with this sensitivity and he shapes and forms us and brings us back to wholeness again and usability again? I mean, we would all say, you know, this is, this is fragile weight. You know, handle with what? Handle with care. This is, a, this is a sensitive surgery going on over here. It's bad enough someone got caught in a transgression. Don't ruin them now. Be sensitive. Christians can be destroyed by bad counsel. Destroyed by legalistic bad counsel. It takes a mature believer in the process of restoration. And isn't it nice to know you just don't go, well, go to Jesus and pray. He washes away all your sins. No. God uses maturity to bring restoration. He uses people in other people's lives. It's very important to understand that. He says, though, watch out for yourself, lest you be tempted. He's going to explain that in the next couple of verses. But I love Paul. Paul's addressing something now. I forgot to read it. It's actually verse 26 of the last chapter. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another in envy, provoking one another and envying one another. Paul is hinting at inner attitudes of conceit and pride and arrogance. But now, in these ten verses, he really deals with it when he says, lest you be tempted, and what? Becoming conceited. Lording it over somebody. It's, it's a tragedy to fall into sin. It's a greater tragedy when someone holds it against you. We don't do that in Christianity. Holding someone's sin against a repentant Christian is murder. It's, it's legalistic murder. And how careful we have to be. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is how we do. We fulfill the law of Christ. Burden here, probably Paul has in mind an excessive temptation, an excessive uh, occasion with a flesh. The person is struggling with the flesh, as we read in chapter 5. And this is what the burden probably is. It's not just a financial burden. No, it could be a lot of different things. The principle can be brought in. But most likely Paul is talking about uh, the burden of being excessively tempted by the failings and, and, and weakness of our human flesh. Carry each other. James says to confess your sins to one another. Talk to one another. Be friends with one another. Don't hold it in. Share with one another. Carry each other's burdens and, and then pray for one another is what he's saying. Of course, it could be financial, economic, social, other things. But here we have a guiding principle in the Christian life. Friendship. 
In verse 1, the person who's got caught up needs to go to a mature believer. In verse 2, those who are tempted, we can pray and care for one another. We can console one another. We can encourage one another. There's a difference. In the context alone, I want you to listen to this. We can see that it's the same compassion, same patience and concern that Christ deals with us in the ultimate restoration of our souls. That's in view this. This is the dynamic force within the Christian community. And understand about this sharing each other's burden, being concerned for one another's weaknesses. We should be concerned. If I know something about a brother, if I know something about a sister, and someone's struggling, it should be a, a genuine concern that I'm praying for somebody. Not just to say, well, I'm glad by the grace of God, there go I. No, 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 that doesn't work in the Christian community. If I, if I know, if somehow the news comes to me that someone's struggling, the first thing I think is, God, help them. Not, well, you know something, I told them. <laughs> I've been telling them. But isn't that normal? Isn't that the first inner attitude we have to, we have to strike that down? I've been telling, I've been waiting for that shoe to fall off. And now they want help. We love to shoot the wounded, don't we? The wounded come in and we beat them silly with their own sins. Listen, they do a good job enough alone. Sin hurts. Don't hurt the sin. Sin itself does a good job. We need to be very careful of that. But understand something. When this carrying Christ's burden and bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ, understand something. When this is inner attitude is absent within the Christian community, it's anarchy, spiritual anarchy. And if you ever seen on TV, you see civil unrest. What do you see? You see rioting, looting, murder, everything. Well, spiritually, when we don't have this friendship, we're not carrying each other's burdens, and there is this bickering and this dissension and factions and, and judgment and envy of one another and this conceit going on. Remember, it's all about inner attitudes in the Christian church. When this has taken place, it might not look, it might look like, oh, praise God, hallelujah. Underneath it's spiritual anarchy. It is inner attitudes run wild, and God sees it all. He sees it all. We need to be such a nurturing, caring, compassionate community, especially for someone who has been caught up in sin, and especially for someone who's burdened by some kind of excessive temptation or any other spiritual need, any other practical need, as Patty prayed out of 1 John tonight. If we see someone who has need, need of the world's goods, and we have them, we're to meet that brother. We're to meet that sister with the world's goods. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, he goes on. This is where he gets into the inner attitudes. What Paul is saying before I say this verse, we should all say amen to verse 2. But Paul knows human nature. For if anyone in the congregation thinks he is something and doesn't want to lift a finger to help is what he's saying. When he is nothing but an indebted sinner like the rest of us, unworthy servants, he is nothing and deceives himself. See, this is the root of the problem. 
The word think here means to suppose. It, it means to draw a conclusion of oneself. Now this goes back to verse 26 about being conceited. Understand something. The ultimate confession of conceit and pride is not what someone says about themselves. You know, I, I'm pretty good. I know you know that, but I'm just talking. I'm pretty good. I'm not like the tax collector over there. I give my tithes and I pay my 10% and I pray and I fast and I'm not like the tax collector. And what did Jesus say? The tax collector is going home forgiven and you're going home condemned. Because you elevated yourself is what he's saying. Here's how it is. This is how conceit works. This is how hidden pride works. This is how uh, thinking more of yourself than we should. This is how it works. People draw a conclusion about themselves by how I think about another human being. If my thoughts are saying, look at this guy, He's, he got himself into trouble again. Look at this one, they're doing it again. And we go through this whole process of judging and criticizing people in our heart. What we're saying is that I'm better than everybody else. I'm weighing them up against me. I'm not lifting my name up, I'm lifting my character above your character, above my thoughts and my words. This is conceit. This is arrogance and this is pride. Paul knows it and this is what he's dealing with in this text. Because when we don't carry each other's burdens is because we're thinking we're too mighty and high for other people. How sad. Someone else's negative conduct, someone else's weakness can reveal our human pride. We got to be on the watch at all times. When he is nothing, you, don't, you might not realize that, but that's actually an answer to thinking too highly of yourself, or me and you thinking too highly of ourselves. This is the only healthy attitude for a Christian. We are nothing without God. You can do nothing without me, Jesus says. Paul says, I'm daily reminded that no good thing dwells in me. Anything else is boasting, arrogance, and pride. And that's why Paul says it's self-deception. As Christians, we really bring nothing to the plate. Nothing. And the principle is not just between Christians. He says to do this to the household of God and to everybody in verse 10. The principle he brought in is totally... How important it is to realize that what we think of ourselves, we might not go around thinking of ourselves as great and mighty, but if we think how we think about other people, that will determine what you think about yourself. If you think low, if we think low of other people, we're really thinking high of ourselves. Jesus is not the standard. His mercy is not the standard. His, his, his love and kindness and patience is not the, the, the yardstick. We are. That is the personification of a self-righteous Pharisee attitude. This is the very thing Christ condemned when he told the Pharisees. And the, the Pharisees didn't even they looked at Jesus when he was eating. Remember? Remember what they said? How come you don't wash your hands? How come you're not washing your hands like everybody else does? The ceremonial way. Wash your hands, one hand over the other, get the towel, and then you can eat. Jesus says, you've got to be kidding me. 
<laughs> it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man. What comes out of a man? It's out of a man's heart that comes wickedness and evil thoughts and murders and envy and jealousy and conceit. Paul's addressing the same issue. Oh, one of the horrible vices of human nature. Self-deceived pride. Very bad. Let's be careful of that. Okay, verse 4. This is what he says. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Instead of being self-deceived, Paul is saying, be self-reflective. Don't judge yourself by another man's failures. Test your own work. What's the motive you do anything for the kingdom of God? Be self-reflecting on your motives, not self-deceived by someone else's failures. And this alone, if we pass this test, he says, that means what's the test? The law of Christ. He says, then you can boast metaphorically. That's all. No, we don't go around boasting because the truth of the matter is if you, if you pass the test, you won't want to boast. You'll be like, God, thank you for using me, a sinner. Thank you for being merciful to me. Thank you, God, that you, you saw fit enough to me to change my life and bring me to a state of maturity that I can be used in the restoration of other people, that I can be used in carrying other people's burdens, that people would call me up and seek me out to have help in their life. Test our own work against Christ and the law of Christ, not in our neighbor's failures. I'm going to read verse 4, and I'll paraphrase. But let, one, let each person test his own heart, and then his reason will be to boast in himself that he's fulfilling the law of Christ, and not in his neighbor's failures. Don't ask me to say that again, because I just had to live there. I'm going to try it again. But let each one test the work and motives of his own heart. And then his reason will be boasting himself. Why? Because he's fulfilling the law of Christ and carrying burdens. And not in his neighbor's failures. We don't judge our worth and our spirituality by someone's failure in their life. Are you with me? Yes. It's quiet in here. I can hear the flesh frying. <laughs> I can hear repentance going up. I can hear someone self-deceived. Who is it? It's on this side. I'm getting a word. Okay, stay with me. Verse 5. For each will bear his own load. It almost sounds contradictory. Now we're bearing our own load, but right before this you were saying carry each other's burdens. Well, he, Paul uses two different words in the Greek for burden and load. And this is what, this is what he means here. Our load is Christian responsibility to carry our own cross daily and be self-examining. That's my load. I'm to carry my own load. I, I know my weaknesses, I know my failures. That doesn't mean I can't ask for prayer. What, what we're to do is meditate on what needs to be changed in our own life. Not the failures even obvious failures, and even obvious blind spots in other people's lives. 
you know, it's, it's one of those things when you're hearing a sermon, you're like, man, I wish that person was here to hear this sermon. And God's saying, no, I want you to hear this sermon. Don't be worried about the person that's not here, that's not hearing that sermon. God's saying, no, the sermon's for you. Meditate on it. Each will carry his own load. Each is responsible to pick up our cross daily and follow Christ and make sure that our own weaknesses are under the blood of Christ. We need to supervise our own weaknesses and guard our own hearts from pride. That's what Paul is saying. As we close this uh, section on the inner attitudes, Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, if you're familiar with the prayer, I pray that you be strengthened in your inner man by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where the battle is. When Paul's saying be strengthened in your inner man, it's not some sort of mystical spiritual experience. Though if you have one, I bless you. Well, Paul is speaking about the inner man. He's talking about where desire and attitudes are that direct our life. It's our inner man, it's the inner desires and what we think about ourselves or what we don't think about ourselves that give us personality. It makes Terry Martin who she is. She, it makes John Verdi who he is. It makes, it makes Joe and, and Richie and Brian Martin who we are. It's the inner attitudes. And it doesn't take long to be around people to understand what the inner attitude is. You can hear inconsistencies, you can hear judgment, you can hear criticism. You, you can see that it doesn't take long to realize what's working on the inside of a person. That's why Paul says, I want you to be strengthening your inner man, that you would know the love and breadth and height and depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you go into the cha fourth chapter of Ephesians, you realize what he speaks about right off the get-go, is don't judge one another, but be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The inner man, the inner attitudes, need to be addressed at all times in the Christian's life. We need to be self-reflecting, self-examining, to make sure we pass the test that our motives are right as we carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. When we're engaged in this, you won't have time to be picking other people apart. There's too much of our own garbage. It hurts. It's bad enough when I fall into it myself and God, God has to work this out of everybody. Nobody comes free of this. This is human nature at its worst. The worst. The next sec section talks about Christian resources, next five verses, and kingdom purity. It's all about inner attitudes. I don't want you to miss this. Paul is still dealing with inner attitudes. But he goes on to something else. He goes on to a new topic. Do we treasure God's kingdom? That means sowing in the spirit. Or do we value our own kingdom? And that's sowing in the flesh. It's all about inner attitudes. Let's get into it. Verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share... Let the one who is taught the word of God share all things, all good things with the one who teaches. Well, where does this come from in this, in this, in this verse, chapter, uh, verse 7? Where most likely the Jewish Judaizers or the Jewish contingency, they never paid preachers. Jews didn't take money out of their pocket to pay. The Jewish temple tax took care of that. Pagans, on the other hand, were used to giving 
itinerant philosophies and of, of good faith a donation. So without a doubt, there is a, a friction within the church. Some people just don't want to give and so into the kingdom of God. They don't think it's, their, it's, it's, it's not their right to do that. Other people realize that it is. And Paul is dealing with this inner attitude over here on you know, what support is. And this is what he's doing. So Paul is probably dealing with a low view towards supporting ministry. And this deals with every Christian today. Inner attitudes. It's about the money. Said it is, Paul is dealing with how Christians deal with their finances when it comes to the ministry. And this is important. A low view of supporting ministry shows a low view of ministry and a low view of God and a low view of teaching. And that's bad. How we sow financially is a reflection to some degree of what the Word of God means to me. Remember what's being taught here. It's the Gospel. Remember that the world is in darkness. It's filled with superstition and vain philosophies. The only hope is the Gospel. The Gospel needs to be preached. It needs to be taught. It needs to be mentored. It needs to be imitated. And that takes support. So sometimes when we see people, uh, what Paul's saying, your low view of support is a low view of teaching. It's a low view of the gospel. And it challenges everybody. This is important to know because he's not telling people you got to give 10%. Understand something. You know how we feel about that. Tithing in the New Testament cannot be found. It is not a commandment. No pastor should be able to sit there and command God's people to give 10%. It should be a commitment that every Christian makes. I'll tell you that as a pastor. It should be a commitment you make to God. If Paul and anywhere was going to talk about tithing, it would have been that. No one spoke about the Old Testament law and explained it in its proper context than Paul. And he never spoke about tithing. Because Christ fulfilled the whole law. And righteousness for all those believe. So I only say this, I don't want to get, it's not about tithing over here. This is about inner attitudes and supporting Christian ministry. It's in this view, in this attitude that Paul is addressing here. This section is ripe with inner attitudes. Listen to verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Paul is not threatening here. He's making a distinction. God is not mocked. It means to be to hold in contempt. To turn your nose towards, uh, to, to ridicule. God will not be ridiculed. You know, I was thinking about this verse. I was driving home today, and we're coming down from upstate. I'm down a highway, and there's about six, seven cars, and we're doing pretty good speed. And then all of a sudden, everybody starts to slow up, because who's there? The state trooper. And it was tucked behind a tree, and like, you know, like we, we couldn't see him. You know? So everybody starts to slow up, and it just gave me a picture of what mocking God would be, is that, if you saw a state trooper and you just went right by at 100 miles an hour and turned your nose up to him, you ridiculed his authority, you ridiculed his, his, his position in life, and you just went right by. That's what Paul is saying here. When we sow into the flesh and not into the kingdom of God, we're mocking God, and God won't be mocked. We're showing no genuine reverence for his authority as Almighty God and the giver of all gifts. 
Paul deals with the situation in two ways. First, he puts God in the place of financial observer. And he'll reveal that more in verse 8. But the second one, in this one, he deals with the principle. As far as God is concerned, through whom all blessings flow, we know that. How we give is determined by what we value in life. And what we value will in turn affect how we reap. This, this, is, a, this is a great great principle Paul is teaching us about inner attitudes. Again, how we give is determined by what we value. Do I, if I value the kingdom of God and the preaching of the gospel, I'm going to sow into the spirit. Because the spirit prompts me to give. But if I withhold and I sow into my own kingdom, my own flesh, by withholding, I'm going to, from the flesh, reap a harvest of destruction. We're going to get into that. But listen to how he does this. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now eternal life has two connotations in the New Testament. One is what we believe and we know it to be eternal life and we go home with salvation. But also it also has a quality uh, uh, context to it. And he's talking about the quality part here. He's talking about reaping a quality of spiritual life now. Paul now defines the why behind all this sowing and reaping in verse 7. Listen. Sowing in the flesh stands for our own shallow and self-centered life and desires that doesn't want to get personally involved in God's kingdom and remain at a safe distance from being proactive in the kingdom of God because of our low view of God and our high view of ourselves. Opposed to this carnal mentality is the kingdom-minded person and approach which is defined by sowing into the spirit because the spirit prompts this seeks the best for the kingdom of God and for the glory of the king. Sowing into the spirit. Eternal life here deals with the more of a quality of life than salvation. This generous believer puts God in his kingdom first and recognizes the importance of Christian education and, expounds, and those who expound on God's word. This person's financial properties are in order. God, the kingdom, others, then self. Along with their other Christian duties, not just about giving, they experience God's presence and peace, though it's unqualified, but in a very real sense. Paul doesn't have to qualify, but it's real. Reaping corruption here probably is more of a principle that Paul talks about in the first Corinthians first Timothy chapter six. I want to go to first Timothy chapter six. And it's a principle that comes from greed, basically. I want you to listen to the fruit of greed. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some who confess Christ, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves. So, reaping corruption, this is what Paul has in mind here. It's not about being not saved at the end. He's talking about what, when people run after money and sow into the flesh and, and the, love of the, uh, the love of the world and uh, the, the things of this world, it just ruins people's faith, it ruins lives, it ruins families. 
That's what Paul has in mind here about sowing into the flesh and not into the kingdom of God. What means more to us? Does the kingdom of God truly mean more to us than this world? And sowing is an important thing here because, well, I'll talk about it here. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's a famous verse of Scripture. Most Christians know it. Here Paul sees all of Christian salvation as sowing. Sowing is not, I don't come here on Sunday and when the bucket goes around and give. That's not sowing. My whole life as a Christian, since the day I heard the gospel and, and ex experienced salvation, from that moment on, is sowing. And the reaping is not what I get in this life. The reaping is what the reward we get in heaven. It's our heavenly reward that Paul is most likely talking about here. The harvest for sure is eternal harvest that Jesus speaks about and Paul speaks about in other places. It's our heavenly reward. Christian ministry and witnessing for sure has its hardships. Christian life is hard, amen? It's hard. But we will reap a reward in heaven if we continue to stay with the gospel. Continue to support, support Christian ministry. Continue to support the preaching of the gospel. And we stay in there. You see, people, what Paul is saying, they have the big picture in their mind. They see the heavenly reward. There's, this, there's something drawing them. There's something empowering them. They see there is an eternal reward. And it motivates them on this side of heaven to sow into the kingdom. They're sowing into the spirit because they see the big picture. They're not blinded by their own kingdom. They're not sowing into the little world of the flesh. They have a greater perspective on what salvation is all about. That's what Paul said. Many Christians are truly bankrupt in this area of foresight. Let me just tell you this, anybody who's part of this church. You will stand before God and God wants to reward you. He desires to reward you for how you lived and sowed into the kingdom of God in every area of life. There is a forfeit. The Bible doesn't give us too much information. There will be no sorrow. I can guarantee you that. There will be no sorrow. Every moral failure is taken care of. But Christians should live with a genuine gratitude in this world to sow into this gospel ministry and recognize that there will come a day that no matter how hard life is on this earth, there is a heavenly reward waiting for all of us. Amen. And he closes the section with this in verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. He brought in the principle to all people, especially believers. And isn't that what Jesus teaches us about? Don't just lend to sinners, because sinners can do that. And don't invite those to the party who can invite you back, because even sinners can do that. But doesn't he say, be good to those who can't be good back? Lend to those who can't give back. And so... Prove to be sons of your Father who is heaven. Doesn't he say that another way in, in, in Matthew? He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And how is our heavenly Father perfect? Isn't he kind and generous to wicked and ungrateful people? Isn't there a common grace that God has towards all people? Shouldn't we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for encouraging us and challenging us, Father God. Always looking at the inner attitudes, Father God, and how we deal with one another and our own weaknesses and afflictions. Are we carrying each other's burdens, Father God? And when it comes to the kingdom of God, let us sow into the spirit generously, Father God. 
and not just think about our own kingdom of the flesh, Father. Help us in this area. Set us free from God, from these things that bind us up in Christ's name. Amen.